Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Julie Keel, and with me again is my co-host, Jeff Sire. Hello, everyone. We're going to talk about kind of an odd um, show, movie? What is it? The documentary is what it is. (laughs) Um, It doesn't really have a lot of tech in it, but... And then again, it has like all tech in it. So we're going to talk about Trek Nation. And if you're not familiar with Trek Nation, here's what Wikipedia has to say about it. Trek Nation is a documentary film directed by Scott Colthorpe examining the positive impact that Star Trek and creator Gene Roddenberry may have had on people's lives as seen through the eyes of his son, Eugene Roddenberry Jr., better known as Rod. Uh, It includes interviews with cast members and crew from all five Star Trek shows, as well as various fans and celebrities who were marketedly influenced by the show while growing up. And that's why I think it's a valid thing for us to talk about. Um, The the idea that... the the influence that Star Trek has had and and um, disclaimer here I actually know Rod Roddenberry um, and so it's as much as Trek Nation is a a documentary of Rod's discovery of his father Rod's um, Gene Roddenberry died when Rod was seventeen and even in the documentary you know you see the long haired wild guy um, who's off doing his own thing. The trouble... I don't think he was a, an easy 17 No, no. Let me tell you, he hasn't changed much. Anyway, that's another thing. But um, he, he basically, if you can, you know, they always say the cobbler's son have no shoes. Um, here's Rod Roddenberry growing up, and, and in the documentary, in Trek Nation, they so, show a picture of him as an absolute infant, possibly in something representing a, you know, baptismal gown or whatever, um, sitting on a model of the Starship Enterprise. But Rod grew up basically shielded from Star Trek. You know, that was stuff his dad did at work. He didn't want to talk about it. I mean, he had Star Wars birthday parties, not Star Trek. Um, so as much as it's a, it's a kind of Rod's journey of discovering and learning about his dad, it's also his journey of discovering Star Trek. And, you know, it's been, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary, I believe, of uh, the next generation. And, you know, so there's a whole generation that's basically grown up with not a lot of Star Trek, you know, on TV or being released. Um, you know, it's it's kind of all, you know, kind of like um, Men on the Moon. It happened way back when. And, you know, the idea that it can still be discovered, it can still be influential, it can still be, oh, dare I say magical, um, you know, for those folks who didn't experience it firsthand as it was being released, um, to me, gives hope for the future, too. Because even in the description there, it talks about, um, you know, how uh, it, it's had impact on people's lives um, positive impact on people's lives. Some of the people that they interviewed in there, do you remember? I know, I see this frequently. Um, I follow enough people on Twitter, including astronauts and all of the actors who played uh, in like the original series and The Next Generation and those types of things, that you see some of these um, 
anniversaries uh, come and go. And uh, like uh, the anniversary of James Duven, Scotty's death was recently. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, people start talking about somebody like Nichelle Nichols. We'll just, I don't know if this happened or not, but this is, you know, not that far out of perhaps a rough memory of, you know, how the conversation went. But, you know, Nichelle Nichols, Uhura, um, tweeted something about, I remember my, my friend uh, James Duhan on this day and the, on the anniversary of his death, you know, and live, whatever, live long, whatever she might have said. And then you'll get a response from like an astronaut um, saying, yeah, you know, I, I'm an engineer, you know, in the in the NASA shuttle program or NASA, NASA space program, and we still say, you know, um, I'm giving her all she's got and all that kind of stuff. Um, there, was, there was a few times in the documentary where they would talk to people from NASA and just over and over again would be, uh, uh, yeah, I, I became an astronaut or I became an astrophysicist or I became an engineer because uh, of my initial interest in Star Trek. And I think that's why I decided this was valid for this podcast, because that's true of astronauts in their career, but it's also true of engineers who are have built some of the technology. If you think about it today, we have um, communicators. We have um, some of the... Uh, uh, you know, display tech. We have iPads, which were, you know, pad devices. A lot of, you know, it seems like engineers saw Star Trek or, you know, kids saw Star Trek, grew up to be engineers and said, that is so cool. I want to make that. And they did. Um, And that's, you know, you know, just to me, one of the the powers of sci-fi, I guess, you know, the idea that it it actually has the ability to not only predict the future, but to some extent create it. It's, speaking of which, too, they actually, Rod Roddenberry uh, interviewed J.J. Abrams, who was the director for the new rebooted Star Trek movie. And it was interesting that... Uh, talk about creating the future, predicting the future, his father, Gene, had made a comment somewhere along the way that um, he wouldn't be surprised. Matter of fact, he'd be quite pleased if at some point, and this, you know, this was recorded, you know, Gene died, God, 20, I should look that up. There you go. I was going to say, it's got to be 20 years ago. Um, And so, you know, this was recorded before his death, and and he was saying something to the effect of, I would love to see some young new director, new generation come along and and take the Star Trek universe and, you know, reboot it for a new new era. And, you know, that's exactly how... you know, the, the the new Star Trek movie had been described. And to my knowledge, that particular audio from that interview wasn't really widely known. I mean, that was kind of like an insider thing that he he had shown J.J. Abrams yeah, pretty much after Abrams this movie. He had never seen it before when, when he showed it to him. Yeah, and, and I don't think anybody really had, had seen it. So uh, it was almost eerie <laughs> to yeah. some extent well when he came like when they had that conversation um G, I, I like the fact that jj abrams wasn't especially shy in saying that you know look i i wasn't a big star trek fan when i was a kid right and uh and he was very uh he wasn't shy about saying that i am not 
a slavish devotee to the story that everybody loves i've looked at it and i'm going to do my own take on that and i'm not shy about pulling away in areas from that that uh from that story so like there you know there's been <laughs> there's an awful lot of discussion uh with fans about whether or not they like that but I think you're hard pressed to find somebody that's really disappointed in them in the direction they took. There's a lot of people that go, "Wow, I can't believe like how where's the story going to go from here now that there's, you know, spoiler alert, there's no Vulcan." Right. Um, that's a big deal. And but you, you don't hear a lot of people going, "Ah, it sucks." Right. Yeah, and and you know, uh, people will argue about the timelines and how this happened and that happened and how does this technology and how does how does this reboot influenced what happened back in the other thing and you know whatever. But that's I think it's, if you stay true to the vision, mm-hmm. you can't really go wrong, right? Yeah, and I think that they picked the right guy, like J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he saw what the you know uh, I think I put it in the notes there that I. I honestly think that the underlying message for all of Star Trek, except for maybe the stuff after Gene died, uh, was that like the future is optimistic. There is, you know, that pot of gold that we're heading towards, and things are getting better, and it is an optimistic future. And I think that they still kept that. Like, there's bad stuff out there, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to get through it together as a human race. And once we meet these other people, we're going to, you know, get them on board with us or we're going to be on board with them and we're going to, we're going to, you know, boldly go. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's a very positive outlook. Yeah. And you know, you don't always see that. Well, some of the writers in, in Trek Nation that were interviewed also talked about that, the fact that that was mandated. Gene Roddenberry insisted upon that. You were not allowed to, you know, essentially, you know, go to the dark side and, and use a lot of conflict and those types of things that are typically used in television shows. Um, and, you know, basically he said you you have to keep it on that optimistic, positive yeah. side, which but apparently made it really hard for him. some things that I personally disagree with in Star Trek that, like the whole thing of like, well, we, we don't need money. Like, okay, you know what? <laughs> we're going to have money forever. Yeah, that like, we, I, I love that episode because like, well, it makes we you... Th- it, we're sticking with it. We, we seem to like it. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where people are lounging around naked yep. uh, permanently. So I, I, I love that episode because it makes you think about it, but it also doesn't explain it very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I remember even as a kid uh, watching Star Trek where... You know, okay, well, this is a, a Navy ship, and it's the best ship in the fleet, so everybody's an officer. And I remember as a kid thinking, well, who cleans the toilet? Right, <laughs> you yeah. Know, like every single person here is an officer. And then when I went into the military, I'm like, yeah, there's no way. It's like, it's, it's like a hospital that, well, you know, doctors are the best, so the hospital's all doctors. You know, like, right. that's just not going to work. Yep. And, but it's interesting, too, for all of that, um, the tech that's shown... It, it's really, as much as we're talking about spaceships and uh, technologies that, you know, were envisioned as being 400 years in the future at the time, um, that it's not about the technology. And the technology really has not changed people. Um, people were still people. You, I mean, you know, if you think 500 years in the past... Um, Oh yeah, like people, people were still people to them. Stories like the, the Three Musketeers and the Count of Monte Cristo, and like even you go back and you read, you know, stuff in the in biblical times. 
those people were exactly the same as us. They were conniving and devious and and then loving and kind and like they had all the same attributes like the only thing that they were lacking was the kind of education that we grew up with like they were essentially no different like if you took a child that was born at uh, you know the time of Christ and then you raised them in today's world there would be no difference at all like, yeah there's a certain amount of historical snobbery of people looking back and saying oh well we're so much better and you see it especially in the medical field well look at those fools they used leeches and Hey, they were doing the best that they had with what they had at the time. Well, there's a good piece I, of technology because leeches are back. hundred years from now, doctors will look back at oncologists today and like they were giving people poison. Yep. And po- putting poison right in them to, to fight cancer. They were killing people and you're like, yep. yeah, that, that's 100% that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. No, matter of fact, it's funny you should say that because – Somebody I work with at my current job, I also knew at my previous job, and um, at that time, this may be five years ago, his wife had cancer so bad that she was taking some some sort of pill that had to come home in a lead box, and she would take it at a specific time, and everybody else in the house except her had to leave for like two days. It was like an entire weekend. You know, he and the kids had to go someplace because his wife was taking this huge radioactive pill. It's like, are you not? I mean, why? I'm going to swallow an atomic bomb. You guys can come back on Monday, you know. Um, And and that that technology... um, you know, it, it always, it's interesting how we move forward and sometimes we, you know, want to poo-poo the past and say, you know, like you were saying, you know, they were idiots. What the heck were they thinking? But um, the problems are still the problems and, you know, it's, it just doesn't go away. Technology does not solve everything. It, it changes how you deal with it perhaps, but it doesn't solve it. Matter of fact, one of the best characters I think on Star Trek is Barkley from The Next Generation, because he was a you know, uh, you don't see in the next, especially, and I'm going to pick on The Next Generation here because um, I can, um, but you know, you don't see like handicapped people. You know, nobody, there's no amputee. You've got Jordy. Jordy, who's blind, he's the one, you know, token, I suppose, uh, challenged individual. But you don't see any, like, amputees, and you don't see any Down syndromes folks, and Which, you don't see any even with Jordy, that's dwarves, one of the that I was like, you okay, know. Well, when they introduced Jordy, he's got the visor, and he can actually see better than anybody. Which right. Like, okay, well, why wouldn't people just, why wouldn't everybody just get their eyes removed and have this thing implanted if they can see better? Right, yep. <laughs> So, but the, the the Trek Nation too. One of the speaking of tech, I wanted to touch on this too. Trek Nation documented um, the the Trekkie culture, um, the conventions, the costumes, the cons, those types of things. And oh my God, some of the costumes and the props and the uh, you know. Um, weapons and those types of things that people make to go to those things there's a whole set of technology there too um some of them are just you know well some of them are bought you know you'd be amazed what you can do with a few thousand dollars you can come up with some pretty incredible stuff but other stuff is pretty much just homemade with you know cardboard and spray paint 
And it, it, that doesn't sound like much technology until you start looking at the creative thought processes that go into building those things. Um, and, you know, there's a whole nother, um set of skills and engineering that's you know Trek has brought us. Um, There's a uh, an artist named Andrew Smith in Utah. Uh, when I was at uh, Frog the Frog Pants uh, Nerdtacular show this year, he had sh- uh, had a whole bunch of his artwork on display, and it was just uh, essentially like like scrap metal that he had put together into like robots and stuff like that, and was illuminated and. It like it was amazing stuff, and it was just like scrap parts. So like the little, the little kind of stick figure man would have like a pressure gauge for a head, and you know like a you know scrap metal arms and stuff like that. Yeah, just and, and same thing. Like just the the creative. Like I could never think of that stuff. Like it just it was really really neat. You know, and I think there's something about uh, you know if if you think about how technology happens um somebody has to imagine it somebody has to design it should we say and then somebody has to build it um and those are three different skills oftentimes carried out by three different people and oftentimes by three different teams of people um and you know whether it's matter of fact <laughs> it's been kicked around and uh, funny i should use that word um to actually start a, a kickstarter project a, a crowdsourced funding project to actually build the starship enterprise yeah um, I, I heard about that <laughs> yeah they're like well you know for a few billion dollars we could probably do this and enough people are thinking you know we spend a few billion dollars on other silly things. Why not? <laughs> so, um, I will. There, there is something at least, yeah. And I, I keep wanting to say special to me, but I think um, the Trek Nation will say that it, it's just special in the history of mankind. Um, that um, Star Trek has has basically imagined things and, and caught the imagination of humans um like nothing else um and and to the point where people will you know um struggle and fight and donate money and build costumes and do whatever to to make this stuff happen star trek is different from star wars is in that it's not just you know a long time ago in a galaxy far far away this is a projection of where we're headed. To me, to me, the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek is that Star Trek is true science fiction, whereas Star Wars blends over into the fantasy side. I know it's not unicorns and and dwarves and those types of things, but it's it's nobody's. Although I shouldn't say that either, but it, you know, nobody's really building like a Naboo, um, those gorgeous silver. I don't even know what they're called, and I should. Oh, I'm sorry, but or like a pod racer. Nobody's really. Oh, people yeah. are people are building R2D2s, that I've seen, and and you know to some extent crossing them with C3POs even. But um, you know the the a lot the, uh, there wasn't a lot of technology. We're not putting people in carbonite. We're not. Um, I, I haven't seen anybody come up with a with a um, lightsaber yet. Although, you know the the. Ones you buy at the gift shop don't count. Right. 
But I have seen people work on transporters. I've seen people work on replicators. We are now calling them 3D printers. Um, I've seen people, I'm holding in my hand a communicator that is actually better than was imagined on Star Trek. Um, (laughs) So there, and and Trek Nation showed that as well. Uh, And I guess I have to believe this. Um, the comment was made by somebody in there that there isn't a corner of the globe that you can go to and things like warp drive and beam me up Scotty have yeah, no that meaning. They, that they don't know what, what yeah. that means. Yeah. So it's, um, I, I think the, um, the, the impact that Trek has on people is documented in Trek. And I have to tell this story. I, I was actually um, out for dinner one night with Rod Roddenberry with a, a group of people. And after we had dinner, uh, we were just, you know, standing outside the restaurant, chit-chatting or whatever. And um, a, oh gosh, I hate to describe her as an elderly lady, but I guess that's what she is, um, who had had, had dinner with us, um, had to um, stop and chat with Rod um, because she grew up in the South and was raised in, I suppose, what we would call a very bigoted family and, um, you know, just was was led to believe certain things because of the environment she was in. And then she watched Star Trek, the original series, with um, the one episode, and I I should know the name, but I don't, where, you know, the the half-white, half-black face people are, and then they they fight till eternity because one person has the black half on the right and the other person has the black half on the left, which was obviously a social statement about how ridiculous this whole... Um, you know, racial thing that was going on live as it was being recorded. I mean, probably as that episode was being filmed, people were being shot in the street because of the color of their skin. Um, And she says, uh, growing up in the South like she did, that was the first time that that uh, thought had been planted in her head that, you know, maybe the people I'm living with and growing up with and surrounded by don't have it right. And she said basically changed her life. And apparently Rod has had this happen thousands, thousands, thousands of times. Right. Um, I, 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 he's he's very gracious at it. You can tell he's very used to it at this point because people have to come up and just, it just bursts out of them about how much Star Trek has meant to them. And, you know, and you that's know, I, basically what... I saw at the uh, Toronto Fan Expo a couple of years ago, they had uh, a panel called Return to the Batcave that had Adam West, Burt Ward, and uh, Julie Newmar, who played Catwoman in the original, in the old Batman TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a fun, it was, it was a really fun panel. And at one point, somebody asked the three of them, uh, actually it was more Burt Ward and Adam West, if, if they regretted being on the show because it had so typecast them and and adam west said at the time yeah it was tough getting work after batman but he said ultimately and i'm sure this is the same for anybody who's been in star trek or star wars or any of that he said he said like how can you be mad he said he goes this is like almost you know getting close to 50 years after i did this show on you know after the three of us did this show on tv that only lasted a couple of years and he said, people stop me in the street and say that they love me. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, like, that's a good feeling. And he said, and that's been going on for years. Yeah. 
And that will continue to go on. And it'll go on, you know, kind of like Trek Nation is a tribute to Gene Roddenberry. Well, Gene Roddenberry's been dead 20 years. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, the impact is long-lasting. And, and I suspect it's kind of like the, the, you know, Space Odyssey um, 2001, where, or the book 1984, um, the dates come and the dates go, but the story lives on. The dream lives on. The the point lives on. The the moral of the story lives on, um, and and to some extent, um, some of the even some of the technologies live on. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, um, Star Trek really it may not have been the first. Matter of fact, I'm almost certain it's not the first. But it did a, a heck of a job in portraying. Um, what it's like to be a surrounded by a future. yeah what it's like to be surrounded by a computer at all times and that's not frightening i mean back in the 60s you know what computers were like were back in the 60s i mean you walked into a room you know they were in, housed in buildings and right now what was in that building um, would fit in you know the palm of your hand matter of fact there's more technology in your iphone than there is in one of those buildings that they had back in the 60s yeah. my mom worked for ibm and uh, she quit just before I was born in '69, and and so and she was a programmer for IBM, and she programmed, and then she said when you were when you were done, she said then you would have to transfer everything to punched cards, <sighs> and then she said you would take your stack of cards down and then you would turn them over to the official guys that would feed them into the machine, and she said there was always this you know one or two day turnaround, yep, because all of the they could only run one program at a time, and then she had to wait for hers to come up, and then. She said invariably they would say, oh, yeah, you, you have an error. So she would have to go back and do the whole thing again and find out where she, she'd made the mistake. And, and God forbid you should yeah. trip and, and scatter the box of cards on your way to the input-output window. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, 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 and I know that Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry in particular spent a lot of time talking to actual scientists and, you know, they had, matter of fact, Isaac Asimov took Star Trek to task one time for um, not being realistic. Was it Isaac Asimov? I'm sure it was Isaac Asimov. Um, and basically, Gene Roddenberry wrote a response um, that said, you know, you're right, we probably didn't get it right, but dang it, we're doing the best we can. you got to realize we're trying, we're putting out half a movie every week. You know, right. a one-hour TV show every week, and yes, we do have scientific advisors. And hey, if you'd like to help with that, you know, we'd be happy to have you. So you know, they but they did do a um, they they made a they, good they effort. Had to be one of the first shows to do that. As I well. think so too. I think they were they. It, it, to me, it seems like other people kind of just made it up. You know, it it truly was yeah. science fiction. It's like, I want a flying saucer. Nobody talked to an aerospace engineer to find out if flying saucers could actually fly, you know. Right. Um, whereas, you know, to, even today, um, the the and maybe that was mentioned in Trek Nation as well, the design of the Starship Enterprise is valid. I mean, that's one of this, this Kickstarter project that I mentioned earlier. They actually did do some analysis of, you know, the uh, aerodynamics and, and um, flight capabilities of the Starship Enterprise. And it needs a few modifications, but generally, yeah, the saucer section with two uh, drive um, sections underneath it is viable. Um, so, 
the idea of basing science fiction on actual science <laughs> may be one of its legacies as well. Yeah. Well, okay, what else do we have to say about Trek Nation? Other than watch it, um, it's been on the Science Channel in the U.S. Um, since last, well, November. And uh, um, it's now available on iTunes in the U.S. as well. So it's starting to be available through digital means, I believe, starting... I know it was in on the... Uh, I can't remember what channel. It was on in, in the U.K. just in the last couple of weeks as well. I'm not sure if it's available for digital download there, but I know it was on their one of their TV uh, channels. Um, so it's getting wider distribution. Um, so look for it. It's 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 one of those things where um, I don't know if well, okay. Did you, did you cry <laughs> at, at watching Trek Nation? Um, I don't. Really. There, there yeah, were parts I, I thought were really were really touching. I, to me, the most impressive thing in the whole thing was that. Uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols talking about yes. how after the first season she was going to leave um, because she wanted to sing and she had other you know issues of her career and she met Martin Luther King and he was adamant like you can't leave you don't realize how important what you're doing is because you don't have a black role you just have a role and you're black she did it yeah just such a huge thing yeah yeah and and i i was aware of that story but to watch her tell it and to put it in perspective and and they did a little bit of that was yeah that was that was moving without a doubt and and you know to be honest she was not only not in a black role she was not in a female role either yeah yeah that's true yeah. i mean it was just a job she was the you know um uh bridge communications officer period end of story you know so yeah there was a couple times there's a, a handicapped uh, individual in that show that uh, had some pretty moving um moments yeah. as well but uh yeah. It's uh it's and it's certainly not a story that's complete. Um you know, Rod's uh, uh interaction with Trek and you know, uh the, I'm I'm sure somebody's still following him around with a camera. <laughs> Getting more clips that uh, maybe could be added as uh, extras when they sell it on DVD or something, but uh, it's uh, it like I say it's it's a it winds up it was not intended when it started, it was supposed to be a story about Rod discovering, you know, his dad, Gene Rodberry. But it's also about Rod discovering Star Trek, which, uh, again, generalizes to just anybody discovering Star Trek. I mean, there's, one of my favorite scenes in there is uh, Rod goes up to a line of people who are, are waiting to get an autograph from some actor that played some role in some version of Star Trek. And he walks up to him and says, you know, hey, what are you guys you know, waiting for? And they, they say the, the actor's name and, and he says, and, and who's that? And they look at him like, what? And and he's like, yeah, no, no, come on, who's who's that? You know, and he plays along, trying to you know get them to explain who this person is, what role they played, what ep- what series, what episodes, you know, why they're important, and and he he does it in a way where he's drawing, you know, people's passion 
for the person and for Star Trek out, but then he turns around and says, I have no fracking idea who that person was until they explained it to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was, he was very smooth in how he would gather his intelligence on, on, uh, all these people that are involved in, in the Trek world. So, um, yeah, so again, Trek Nation, check it out. Um, I think, uh, again, Star Trek's impact on actual technology just really, I, I don't know how you could underestimate it um, or understate it. It's its ongoing today. Matter of fact, even we don't currently have a manned uh, space flight, you know, at least not a government-funded manned space flight going on right now in the U.S. Um, but that's not to say that some of those Star Trek dreams aren't still being worked on. Um, there are plenty, matter of fact, they are starting, they have been recruiting astronauts even since the space shuttle landed. Um, they are still working on um, some of the intermediate steps to get to, you know, space travel. You know, and warp drive, which I never, I know better at this point than to never say never. About the time they say it's impossible to go faster than the speed of light, somebody will find a way to go faster than the speed of light. Might kill us sure. all, but you know, but that's what they thought about the speed of sound at one time well, too. That's what they thought about flight. That's what they. <laughs> yeah. That's what they thought about the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, there's nothing over there. Don't bother. Yeah, it's <laughs> Don't like steal away from the land. <laughs> it's like it's not possible. We'd have to change the laws of physics. Well, and then about two weeks later in the news, they're like, oh, well, guess what? You know, we found a Higgs boson, and you know, gosh, maybe the laws of physics physics just changed. It's like, mm -hmm, yeah, keep it coming, people. So. Anyway, on my uh, desktop of my computer, um, I won't read the first part, but it's a quote from Mark Twain, and it says, uh, it ends with, so throw off the bowline, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sail, explore, dream, discover. I always love that. And, like, nobody, uh, you know, nobody ever uh, discovered anything who took the safe route, right? You know, you have to sail away from the harbor to to find the other shore. Yep. And and you have to believe that um, it's worth the journey, you know. Yeah, like I think there's a there's a goodly uh, good percentage of the like I always say that I would have been like if the human race had depended on me and I'd been a caveman and I'd invented fire, that would have been the end of it. I'd <laughs> just sit there staring at the fire for the rest of my life. <laughs> Nothing else would have been done. But, you know, around every fire there's, you know, some guy who turns away and looks out at the stars or looks somewhere else and you know there's there's i think that's part of you know part of the, uh, it, it, you know systemic to the human race there's there's the dreamers like gene roddenberry that uh you know and, uh steve jobs and all these other guys that you know that everybody else is focused on the task at hand and they're looking so far beyond what what we're doing right now yep yep so Again, we're going to look for more stories and more um, examples, I guess, from science fiction of some of those. Maybe it's just a glimpse of a vision of uh, a future. We're, we focus on technology, but obviously we don't limit ourselves to that. Um, it's uh, Science fiction is too big to just, you know, kind of stick to one little corner. So <laughs> we go where the corners take us, I get. 
Okay, well, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Oh, I should mention that we're probably not going to have another episode for a week or so. Last uh, month it was uh, Jeff traveling, and now it's me. Who's <laughs> so, like got the coolest gig going on ever? Yeah, well, I'll tell him more about it when I get back, perhaps. And it's funny that you just mentioned the quote you did because I'm sitting here going, Oh, way too relevant. But again, we'll save that story for next time. Might be a couple of weeks, but we will be back with another episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. And in the meantime, you can check us out at SciFiTechTalk.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. And of course, if you have ideas or comments, we would love to hear them. Especially if you've got some juicy bit of science fiction that you are uh, a fan of or familiar with that uh, you'd like to hear us talk about or like to maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show and talk about it yourself um, you can send that to sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com and we're still new enough that we could really use some reviews on iTunes as well so until then where Jeff where can folks find you out in cyberspace they can find me on Twitter at Bronco Sire and or at the sci-fi tech talk address Aha. And I can be found on Twitter at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L, all one word. And if you want to find links to my other podcast blogs and anything else I've got going on, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to have a blog post coming here soon. Um, that can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. And so that's going to wrap it up for this show, and we'll see you again in the future. Bye.